0: Good morning and greetings to each of you this morning. We gather together this morning under the authority and under the direction of the Chief Shepherd. The one who cares about our needs. Cares about the needs of Each lamb and his flock. And I was blessed this morning by our time of prayer for Sarah in the men's class. It was a challenge to me this morning to be fervent in prayer to the chief shepherd. I'm using that term this morning, chief shepherd, because... It's in the text that I want to preach from this morning. When we went into semi-lockdown in April, I had, yet, I had not yet completed preaching through 1 Peter. I had preached on chapter 4, but I hadn't preached on chapter 5 yet. And I didn't want to preach that message because I wanted to preach it here because of some of the things that were in the passage. I wanted to be able to see your faces and preach to you. Because as I looked at the passage, I saw something that I needed. And I saw something that... I want your help in fulfilling. So you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. In chapter 4, Peter talks about approaching life from the same mindset as Christ. And it's Christ's mind, he said, was a mindset of suffering. That He was going to the cross to suffer for us. And that we should have that same mind in living out our life, a life not to please ourselves, but a life of Christian service to fulfill the will of God. And that's how we approach Christian service, to fulfill the will of God. And that we shouldn't think it's strange that we should face trials as we do that as we live out our Christian experience. But we are to rejoice that we're partakers of Christ's sufferings. And then he concluded the chapter with where our security is. In verse 19, he says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. And that's where chapter 5 That's the context in which chapter 5 begins. So I'll read chapter 5 at this time. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Peter is concluding this letter here that he has written to this group of people. And if I'm remembering correctly, it's strangers and pilgrims who are scattered throughout uh, different areas in Asia Minor. Yeah, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so he's concluding this letter to them and he begins here in chapter five with a message to a specific group of people within the congregation. It's to the elders. And as he addresses them, he identifies himself as being having that same role as an elder. And I see something significant in this verse I want to call our attention to. And it's not directly in the text but it's part of what's happening here. Peter is speaking as an elder to other elders. And in a sense, he's passing on a torch to them. He's passing on a burden of leadership to them. From one generation of leaders to the next. And he's giving them instruction. And you know, the reality is that the church is always going to need leaders. But those leaders don't live forever. So there needs to be a passing on of that leadership, that responsibility to the next generation of leaders. And there's two things that he lists here that need to be happening. And he says them of himself. He says that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that she shall be revealed. And so those two things need to be happening. I'd like to look at both of those. So those, those leaders that will come after Him, they need to be partakers or witnesses of the sufferings of Christ. They need to see His suffering for what it really was. Why did Christ suffer? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You see, Christ suffered as a servant. He suffered to be a servant. And being a leader in the kingdom of Christ is not a call to lordship. It's a call to servanthood. As Christ served. And we, as followers of Christ, need to be witnesses of Christ's suffering for us so that we can properly engage in kingdom building. Because we will, we will be building from that mindset of Christ's suffering. And servanthood as a result of that will be willing to suffer for Christ and to serve for Christ. So to be a leader is to be a call downward to servanthood of the body. The second thing that is that those leaders need to be a partaker of the glory. The only way that we can fulfill the call of God in our lives is to be a partaker of the glory that comes as a result of knowing Him. A partaker of the life and power that He has to offer and we can find through faith. And brothers and sisters, this morning, I think if we think this through, if we think through the fact that the church not only needs to have leaders, but it needs to pass on that torch of leadership to the next generation, then we're going to have to be developing leadership in our congregations all the time. And our churches should be full of men who can be leaders. Because that has to be happening. That development has to be happening. If we're going to be faithful, if the church is going to go on, that has to be happening. And maybe even in a, in a closer home sense for all of us, somebody follows you watching the things you do. And so in that sense, we're all leaders. And as all-being leaders, as parents, as teachers, and in our participation in church life and in daily life, are we, are you, am I, a partaker, a witness of Christ, and a partaker of the glory? And Peter's not specifically talking to everyone in the church here. But I believe that it applies to all of us in that sense. That if we're going to lead people closer to Christ, that we're going to have to be a witness and a partaker. So in verse 1, Peter tells these elders what they should be. And then in verse 2, he gives them a responsibility, what they should do because of that. Feed the flock of God. What does feeding do? Feeding brings growth. It it, it takes you to maturity. So that's the process that I was talking about that needs to happen. There needs to be growth and maturity and ultimately development into more leaders, into more elders. And that process has to continue to happen if the church is going to go on. So I'd like to make that practical this morning. I'd like to bring that right down here to us, to our congregation. Is that what we're doing? Are we developing and growing in our maturity as followers of Jesus Christ? Are we content where we are? Do we have the anticipation that we need to be growing and that we need to be fed? As I looked at this passage, it's in this practical aspect that I have a particular burden. And I feel that burden largely on on myself. And I'm a little bit hesitant to speak on this subject and in this way to you this morning and I hope that you can understand the, what I present to you in the next little bit because I have a real burden for us as a congregation that we be what I was just talking about, that we be a growing, thriving congregation. And as part of the leadership here, I feel some of that responsibility and weight that Peter's talking about here to feed the flock of God resting on my shoulders. And in some senses, I look to you as a congregation to help me in knowing how that's happening. And so I'm, I'm speaking to you this morning from that perspective because I desire your help to be what I should be. I have a responsibility to be a witness of Christ and a partaker of His glory. That's a personal responsibility for me. Do you As a congregation, do you as an individual, as part of this flock, do you see areas in my life that need growth and change? Do you see areas in my life that need correction? I want to open myself up to you this morning. Because just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I have everything figured out. It doesn't mean that I have all of my life straightened out. Yesterday, I had to repent of a bad attitude. I have areas that I need to grow. And I want you as a congregation to feel completely free to come and talk to Philip about some area that you see in his life. Because I want, and I put that in my notes in all capitals, I want to know the areas where I need to grow. Because it's not nearly as important to me to know about the areas where I'm doing well as it is to know about the areas where I'm not doing well. Because those are the areas where I need to grow. And you all can see me better than I can see me. And I'm looking to you to help me in those areas. Number two, verse two, feed the flock of God, which is among you. Are you being fed? I went back and looked at the past year, and I preached here on August 4, I believe, of last year. And there's been 53 Sundays since then. And I have brought the message here at Maywell Chapel 24 of those 53 times. And so just a little bit less than half the messages that you're hearing across this pulpit are from me. So I have a burden about that. I have a burden that you are being fed as an individual. There's a couple different aspects of that that I'd like to talk about this morning. I'm a communicator and I would rather be in a discussion with you than preach to you. Because in a discussion, I'm constantly getting feedback. And I can tell by what you say in response to me in a discussion whether what I'm saying is making sense to you or not. But when I'm preaching... I'm not always sure if what I'm saying is making sense to you. And so, it's kind of from that perspective that I ask these things. And I want to say too that I have have been encouraged by the thanks and the expressions of appreciation that you all have made to me in regards to my messages. And this is, and again in capital letters, this is not a plea for a pat on the back. I want that clear. I want that to be clear. It is a desire for your input to help my thinking, to help my preparation, and to help me better do a job, to do a better job of feeding you as a congregation. The first thing I'd like to talk about a little bit, is depth. There's newborn Christians in our congregation. There's people that have been Christians for many years. There's a retired pastor in our congregation. There's people here who are my seniors in faith. And Peter talks earlier in this passage about coming to faith and, and being uh, growing through the sincere milk of the Word. And then Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. So he's clearly saying that, that there should be an advancement from the milk to the meat. And so there's different levels of, of depth here in what he was saying he could teach them as a result of where they were in their Christian experience. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, it says, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good, both good and evil. And so he's saying that there's you know, different levels of ability and discernment and the needs, the different needs within the congregation. So there's a need to provide both milk and meat. Are you being fed? And I'll just say from my own experience, that there have been times in the past when I would long for more meat. And I'm not diminishing, I'm not diminishing the need for us to have milk. I think that's important. But I do believe that as families, we need to be conscious of the fact that our children are largely looking to the family setting for instruction and growth. And I don't want to minimize the need for basic teaching in messages. But I do think it's important that we have a a level of depth as well. And that's an area where you can tell better than I can where we are. In relation to this. Another thing I'd like to bring up is clarity. Do you come away from a message wondering what exactly I was getting at with either a point in the message or the whole message? I think clarity is important and I want to talk just a little bit more about how we can get, can get to that clarity a little later. Another thing is it being theologically sound. It's very, very important to me that what I tell you or what I, what I speak to you is theologically sound. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons that it's so important to me is because there are areas in my life that it took a, a significant... Um, a significantly clear presentation of certain aspects of my Christian life to come to a place of assurance of salvation. And as I looked back previously at, at the way that salvation had been presented to me, I realized as I came to a better understanding of assurance of salvation, I realized that there were areas in which lines had not been clearly presented to me. And I'm not blaming anyone for that. I'm just saying that it's really important to me that, that I present things theo- in, a, in a way that's theologically accurate. And you can't say everything. And you can't say everything perfectly. And so we, if you have questions or you wonder about whether something's sound or not. I remember one time I said something in Sunday school class and, and a brother came to me later and he said, what about this verse? And I was like, oh yeah, what about that verse? You see, he helped me to strengthen myself theologically in what I had to say. And you can do that too. You can help to strengthen me and, and round out uh, my thinking so that I can present it better the next time. I will put a put a word of warning in here too. Kind of tongue in cheek warning. John D Martin said that after 2 years on the phone team, your theology is completely fixed. Like you've you've established your theology. So that's what you're going to run up against if you come talk to me about theology. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm not going to change. I'm just saying that I just passed the three-year mark, and um, it has really, really, really strengthened the way that I present uh, the gospel. It's really strengthened the way I view the gospel, because you're constantly being challenged about what you believe on that phone line, and uh, it's not a—it's not really a warning. It's just that I want to talk through it. I want to engage with you if you feel like there's things I'm saying that aren't theologically sound. Um, and you can help me to grow. And there are people that have brought things to my attention through the phone line that I've had to take a good look at and has, has shaped my perspective. And so I want to have those discussions. Another thing is, am I challenging you to think? Are you being challenged to think about spiritual things and dig into the Word of God to find answers? And I'm going to put another thing in along with that. I think that's very, very important that we're being challenged to think. Is it practical to your life? Do you find that messages are helpful in addressing things that you're dealing with personally? And I'd like to com- kind of combine those two things, the, the idea of the challenging you to think as well as the practical the, the messages being practical to your personal life. Somebody told me one time preach practical messages. People want to be told what to do. And I have thought about that a lot. And have mixed feelings about it. And part of the reason that I have mixed feelings about it is because I don't like to tell people what to do. I like for, what people, for the things that people do to grow out of their personal faith. And so from my perspective my job is to challenge you to think and to dig into the Scriptures for answers and to find those answers and then apply those answers to your life. And to me, that's practical preaching. Practical preaching is not particularly telling you what to do, even though there may be some aspects of church life where people need to be told what to do or at least given a direction. I think primarily practical preaching should engage us to think and to dig into the Word of God for answers and develop our faith. Because what you run into if you simply tell people what to do is that then they're living out your convictions, not their own. And we need to be living out our own convictions. So are you being challenged to think? And do you find it to be practical to your life. The last one that I want to talk about is opportunity for discussion. Do you feel like you have opportunity in that I am open to discussion about things? And I want you to know that I long for the opportunity to discuss things with you. That to me is beautiful. You don't have to agree with me on everything for us to learn and grow from each other. In fact, we're going to learn and grow more if we don't completely agree with each other and we can discuss it and talk about it because discussion is what helps us to bring clarity to things. And I was talking about whether what I say uh, is clear to you. Well, the best way to clear that up is through discussion because we can talk together and we can work it out. And you can bring in aspects that I haven't thought about. I will just about guarantee you that if we discuss things very long, you're going to bring in aspects of, of the, whatever we're talking about, whatever, whatever issue we're discussing that I haven't thought about, and it's going to help me. One of my favorite responses to messages that I preached came from a lady who came up to me after the service, and she said, you made this statement during the message. Would you mind to explain that to me a little bit more? And so we were able to have a discussion about it. We were able to talk about it. And both she and I went away from that discussion with more to process, with more to think about, with more to add to our thinking. Maybe I didn't touch on something you'd like to point out to me. Please come and talk to me. I want you to know that I am open to your instruction, your encouragement, your counsel, your direction, your correction. So Peter, in verses 2 and 3, he, gives, he starts out verse 2 by giving responsibility to feed the flock. And then he gives three motivations for how that should or should not be done. And like I said before, oftentimes those who are observing can see things that the individual can't see. So again, I want you to look at my life. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not by force. He's saying you shouldn't take this responsibility because you're forced to, but you're willing to. Not for money, but with a ready mind. Not as lords over God's heritage, but as examples. So what do you see in my life? Do you see someone who's willing, who willingly takes responsibility or someone who only does it because he has to? Am I doing this for personal gain? Or is it something that I do with alacrity? Now you might wonder, what's alacrity? I did. But that's the word, that's the English word that describes the Greek word there for a ready mind. And it means cheerful readiness. Do I act like I own this congregation? Or am I simply a good example? And your answer to these questions will at some level determine how you hear me. And so it's important for me to know if there's areas, some of these areas where I need to grow. And if that's my attitude, I need to grow. If I have the attitude of owning the church or that I'm doing it for money or that I'm just doing it because I'm forced to. And then in verse 4, he says, Because the shepherd is operating as accountable or in submission to the chief shepherd. Because the flock is God's flock, verse 2. It's God's heritage in verse 3. It's the chief shepherd's flock. And my responsibility is not focused on pleasing you. It shouldn't be. It should be focused on pleasing Him. And so, again, that's the perspective that I need to have, a perspective of pleasing Him. Because you don't want a leader that's focused on pleasing you. I can promise you that. Because you won't go where you want to go if you want to follow the Lord Jesus. You want your leaders to follow the Lord Jesus. And you want His focus to be there. And like I said before, I'm a communicator. And so, I desire your communication in my life. Moving on. These next couple verses are loaded. And I'm not going to attempt to unpack everything that these verses are saying. But I'd like for us to to continue to think about this kind of this context of of the flock of God and how the, the flock is to relate to one another. The verse begins with likewise, in the same way that. The leaders, the elders in the church, are accountable to the chief shepherd. Likewise, submit. Elder to younger, all of you to one another. You see, submission is a condition where my perspective does not rule and it's an openness to the input of others. And so we need to have that as a flock. If we're going to if we're going to grow together, we're going to have to have openness one to another to help with that whole process of growing. Because it's not in staying where we are that's so important. It's in the growing, it's in the climbing that's always important. And that's one of the things that we we're just talking about this past week with a friend. We we're talking about the condition of, of the country. And the condition of the country is to shut down opposing viewpoints. It's it is not your business what I'm doing. And so don't tell me I need to do something different. And I'm going to shut down the opposing viewpoint. And if we want to learn and grow as people, we cannot shut down other viewpoints. We need to honestly assess other viewpoints. And that's what submission to the body means. It means that we're open to assessing other viewpoints honestly. And then being willing to secede our point to the body. To let someone else's perspective rule. And it's especially important to those who are older and more experienced than me. Because you see, they've walked the road ahead of me, and they have experiences that can be valuable to my perspective. So, and then with that, we're to be clothed with humility. Now, your clothing is how you present yourself. And so we're to be, we're to present ourselves with humility. And as I think about what that means, I think about the verses in Philippians 2, where it's leading up to talking about the mind of Christ. And it says, "...let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus." And so it's a, it's a mind or an attitude of seeing others as more important than ourselves. Why should we be humble? Last part of the verse: because God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. And I thought about well, what does this idea of resisteth mean? And the first two things that came to my mind was a roadblock. We were in Dane and I were in Ohio recently, and we were following GPS from one location to another. We had no idea where we were. And we turned onto this road and as soon as we turned onto it, there was a sign that said road closed ahead. And we we're like, well, you know, what do we do now? So we went on down the road to see if it actually was closed and sure enough, it was. Then we tried to get around the roadblock and we couldn't get around it. So all we could do was go back and find another route. And if you want to think about your efforts in life and the things that you're doing, do you want, do you want God to be putting roadblocks in front of you so that all the effort that you're doing is just futile? Because He's way more powerful than we are. And He can stop us at every turn. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The other thing I thought about was trying to swim upstream. I'm not that great of a swimmer, but I tell you what, it is really, really discouraging to try to swim upstream. And God can just make that water go as fast as He wants to. And the harder you try to swim, the faster God can make the water go until we're totally exhausted and worn out. God resisteth the proud. But what does He do? He giveth grace to the humble. And I remember learning a definition of grace from Franklin. It came from uh, Glenn Hurst. Grace is the power of God to do the will of God. He giveth grace to the humble. He gives us strength. He gives strength to the humble. He gives strength to you. So when you're swimming upstream and it's a difficult situation, He gives strength. He doesn't put a roadblock. He gives strength to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Cast yourself on that stone and be broken. Let God be the one to lift you up. In verse 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And I was just so blessed by Sarah's testimony. She put a picture on WhatsApp of Jesus holding a little child. And that's the God we serve. A loving Father who cares about us. And we can cast our cares, our burdens on Him for He careth for us. He is on our side. But there is an opposing force. And that's where verse 8 comes in. Approach life seriously and watchfully. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to consume your life. And so this battle we're in is serious. And if we get carried away by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and all the things that come crowding in and by the burdens that we face, Satan is there to try to get a hold of us But we're to resist Him being steadfast, steadfastly trusting God. We talked about trust in the men's Sunday school class this morning. Trusting God, putting our faith in Him, acting on what we believe to be true, acting on what He has said. Resist Him steadfast in the faith because you're not the only one who's facing this onslaught from Satan. Children of God everywhere are facing that. I'd like to think a bit about the life of Job. You know, the tests that came to Job as somebody that was simply an onlooker like his friends who didn't see behind the scenes like God gave us the opportunity to see. It was just a bad set of circumstances. A lot of unfortunate events. In fact, his servants said that the fire of God fell from heaven. But we know because we can see behind the scene that it was the work of Satan that was trying to uproot Job's faith in God. Job was under direct spiritual attack by Satan in those events. He was being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we give our lives to Him, we have given everything over to Him. That includes the circumstances. That includes the things we own. It includes our lives. Our physical life. And so then, if we give everything over to God, then it is all in His hands. And the things that happen to us are part of that. And who's to say that Satan's not behind the unfortunate events in our lives? trying to destroy our faith just like he was with Job. I believe that the difficult physical difficulties and the difficult experiences that we face can be a form of persecution. How do we respond to it? You see, those, those things were persecution for Job because Satan was behind them. So who do we trust? Who do we live for? And are we really willing to resist the temptation that we have to be bogged down and discouraged by those unfortunate situations, by those difficult situations when God is saying, resist the temptation and be steadfast in faith through it. There's a song that says, speaking to God, it says, I want mountains to move. He wants me to climb. So we see that difficult thing out in front of us and we say, God, just just get this thing out of the way. This is more than I can handle. But what God wants us to do is climb. And the way that we... Maybe I should read verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called you into His eternal glory by Jesus Christ, where is glory? Glory is above where we are. How are we going to get up? We're going to have to climb. God wants us to climb towards that glory. We'll not ascend to glory by staying where we are. We don't have the strength to climb on our own, but God has the strength. He can give us the strength to climb Suffering gives us the mountain. And then what's going to happen? After you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So that climb is going to take you to a place of stability, a place of security. He wants me to climb. Verse 11. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To Him be the glory. And then in verse 12, He says, I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. So He's written this. He's written this letter to these people as a testimony that the strength that Christ had through suffering and the strength that you receive to walk through suffering is the true grace of God. That is the true grace of God. The grace of God is not a license to sin. It is the strength to stand faithfully through suffering. That is the true grace of God. And then Peter sends a greeting. And I was thinking, I was looking at that, that that greeting is to us. The elect of God. Peter was sending a greeting to the elect. And then in verse 14 it says, we're encouraged to express our love for one another And then peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. May we live out the true grace of God.